Witness insurmountable deficits turn into unforgettable victories at the Travelers Championship, the Northeast's one and only PGA Tour signature event. See Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, Victor Hovland, Max Homa, Patrick Cantlay, returning champion Keegan Bradley, and other PGA Tour stars in all four days of competition at TPC River Highlands. The excitement tees off June 19th through 23rd. For tickets and information, visit TravelersChampionship.com. The Travelers Championship. There is only one. If I ventured in the slipstream. This episode of Inside Golf Podcast is brought to you by RickRemgit.com. All the stats, tools, and info that I'll be discussing on this podcast can be found over at RickRemgit.com. My in-depth course breakdown is already up on the site right now where I break down the entire golf course in written form, my whole model, talk about the weather, a bunch of trends and angles, all that good stuff. Uh, and Tuesday, tomorrow, or probably when this pod is coming out, by the time you're listening to this, my season-long fantasy rankings will be up on the site as well. Wednesday, final DraftKings thought. So for all of my premium content uh, and any questions that you want to ask me this week, the best place to do that is not on Twitter. It is in the Rick Run Good discourse, and you can get into that by heading on over to rickrungood.com, promo code Andy. Just type in Andy in the coupon code section section when you sign up if you want to help me out that is the most important part and we would love to have you as part of the team all right coming up on this podcast myself and kobe debose back for the final major of the year breaking down the entire DraftKings slate a weather update how we think this golf course is going to play it is a jam-packed episode we run through this slate from top to bottom discuss strategy picks to win pricing uh, and so much more. So without further ado, let's bring on Kobe. All right. Kobe Dubose is here. Uh, just saw each other in the Pacific Northwest and Western Canada. We're back for a final major of the year. I think my favorite, my favorite on most years. Is it your favorite? Definitely my favorite. Probably my favorite sporting event. Been my favorite golf tournament since I was old enough to understand. I used to get up at, you know, one in the morning when I was like seven to watch this. Uh, this shit. So I'm just a continuation 30 years now of waking up early and <laughs> trying to see how long I can stay up and all that. So I'm pumped. You have a whole routine, right? You go to Vegas for it and do the yeah, whole Vegas year. experience and then get the opening in the wee hours of the morning. Yeah. It's like year four of that for me. Get a nice room or suite. Uh, starts at 1030 out there on Thursday and Friday, I guess on Wednesday and Thursday. Usually go have a big meal and the golf's on at 11 p.m. See how long you can stay up, play some craps, and then usually make it till about 6 or 7 a.m., take a little nap, wake up, catch the end of it, sleep, go play golf, do it all over again. It's great. I would recommend it to anybody. I would say I talked about this a little bit in a podcast I just did for the Scottish, but the contrast between how much the majors matter versus how much everything else feels so insignificant feels starker this year more so than ever maybe because of the live split and and all the crazy stuff that's going on in the golf world but 
it feels to me this year, at least like every major week kind of just elevates above everything else. And like I've said to you before, I don't even want to get into the mindset, like nothing else matters outside of four weeks of the year, because that probably means I'm out of a job. Right. Uh, but it feels to me like something about this year, the majors have a little bit of a different ring to them. Yeah. I mean, which is interesting because I think we've had some really nice just regular events, right? I mean, some exciting yeah. stuff even last week. But I think the majors, um, they've always been special. They've always been the big events that the non-golf people watch. But I think obviously having the live guys come over and I don't know, I, maybe there's been some burnout on the the elevated events. Or the oh, definitely. You know, they just came so fast and furious that those were cool for like a minute, right? And then we had our eighth one and it was... And then, you know, I just realize these things don't stand up to the majors, no matter how much you want to make the travelers elevated. It's not the U.S. Open. Um, and, and I think the spacing has been good, too. I, I really like the move um, PGA to May because it the sort of one month in between has made it kind of gives you enough build up um, back when, you know, we had two of them in August or two of them in late July and then in August. It, it wasn't as much build up. So. I think the schedule and the, the cadence of the golf season has made it so the majors kind of. I think I was, I was thinking about this when I was diving into the Scheffler stuff, which is just wild if you really look into it. But I was thinking about how I hope that the Scheffler season doesn't get lost to time. And it feels like a major win is really the most fitting way for him to cap off this, I mean, really historic, never been done before run before. And I was thinking to myself how that is the most romantic fitting outcome, but because golf is such a cruel game, he's probably just going to finish top five in every single event and then like win the FedEx cup running away. And then I thought to myself, like, what is the FedEx cup? Does the FedEx cup exist in three months from now. So I think part of it is that the majors feel like the only thing in golf right now that we can count on, right? Sure. They yeah. feel like the sure. only, they feel like the only thing that are going to last past this year. They feel like the only thing that we're going to get to may and they're going to show up for us next year. I feel like everything well, else is marred in uncertainty. <laughs> they're the only tournaments that these idiots haven't been able to touch. Or right. Influence. I mean, <laughs> Honestly, the nice thing about the major weeks is that, I mean, I guess after the Masters, when there was, you know, a day of sort of questions about it, it kind of became regular again. It's just the weeks sort of transcend the current bullshit um, and they do feel like they matter and they do feel like they're going to last. And it feels like no matter what these morons decide to put together for the future of golf, the majors have kind of good on them for just sort of waiting above it and been like, you guys figure out what you're going to do. We're going to be here. And if you don't play any other golf, we know you're going to play ours. I kind of appreciate the majors more. If anything, they've elevated themselves by staying out of the muck, which I think was a big question for a while. Like what, what are the majors going to do? Are they going to get down in the mud? And they've taken a, I don't think they've taken a hands-off approach. They've obviously meddled in their own um, sort of ways, but they've been pretty good at not appearing to have meddled, which I, I think is uh, important. The RNA in particular, and I guess I'll use this to transition us to start talking about Hoylake, but it feels like the RNA 
just doesn't really care about they're not as I guess the best word that I would use is reactive. They don't seem like as much of a reactive body as the USGA does to criticism. And they don't seem to overcorrect themselves in ways that the USGA does where the integrity of, you know, the open championship has never really felt like it's about the winning score. And the RNA doesn't really market itself that way either. And I think where the USGA gets into trouble is, you know, you're selling hats in the pro shop with big letters that say grit on them and marketing yourself as the toughest test of golf. Can't really fault some people for getting upset when the winning score is 10 under par. Whereas the RNA markets itself in a way where, you know, listen, here's the deal. If it's wins, you're going to get your two under par, three under par, whatever may have you. But if it's not wind, if there's no wind, you know, maybe it'll be 15, 16, 17, 18 under par. And that is of a very little relevance to what this tournament is about. This tournament is about tradition. It's about history. It's about the birthplace of golf. It's about getting one week out of the year where ideally, if the weather does what I think we all hope it does, we see a very different style of golf than what we have become accustomed to on the PGA Tour. And I think that's why it feels, I guess Augusta feels pretty pure in its form. But it, I think the reason why I'm drawn to this one the most is because I don't, I don't really think it tries to be anything that it's not, right? Whereas well, the USGA is still seems like they're trying to figure out their identity. Yeah, I think for me, and you know, because you've taken a trip to Ireland last year, I, I spent time in England and in Scotland last year playing golf. Um, it kind of matches up with how they approach golf in general in terms of, okay, the weather, we don't know what it's going to be. Your caddy shows up, you figure it out. They don't really care. Okay, the wind's blowing 40, we'll figure that out. Oh, you're having a great, beautiful day. That's nice too. Um, and they're just, the golf is what it is. It's been there forever. It'll be here today. It'll be here tomorrow. The conditions will be what they will be. The golf course will react to it, go out there and take it as you find it. And I think that's how this tournament is. I think it's beautiful in its simplicity, even St. Andrews just being just the simplest place on earth and still being amazing. And, you know, some of their Royal Liverpool and, and other of their more private clubs, um, even just kind of being a, a place that is just very, I don't know, it's not overdone, right? They're totally comfortable with who they are and what they have. Um, they know it's great. It's not pretentious. It just is. Um, and I think the tournament is the same way. Uh, they, I guess because of their history and because they're first and because, you know, they've, they've sort of invented the thing, they don't need to respond to Americans. In fact, I think part <laughs> of their identity, if there is one, is not responding to what anyone thinks, what Americans think in particular, um, which is kind of fun, right? Uh, and it it does feel timeless. It does it does feel like you're going to get the same thing every year over and over and over. And by the same thing, I mean, whatever the conditions and whatever the, the gods give you, which is cool. There may not be as much romanticism as there was last year surrounding St. Andrews, but Hoylake's fucking awesome. I just... It's been such a joy to research this course. And I've already started to see, you know, the debate around internal OB 
and <laughs> the quirkiness of this golf course. Um, this is a golf course that it doesn't really have the intriguing, dramatic topography that some of the other Lynx golf courses that we see, even like a, even a St. George's has much more towering sand dunes than a Liverpool. Liverpool is really flat and it has really flat greens. I mean, it was built on an old racetrack, but what, what it lacks in topography, it makes up for, in you know, what I believe to be really interesting and fun design. And also the good thing actually about not having sand dunes is that there's no defense out there, right? So, you know, if you get calm conditions, guys are going to score like we kind of saw with the Rory year and to a certain extent, the Tiger year, even though it was firm that year. But if the wind does get going and we'll talk about the weather now, there's nowhere to hide. Absolutely nowhere to hide on this golf course. Um, so I would say I'm, I'm say of the open venues, like I, I have Hoy Lake pretty high on my list. Yeah, I loved it. I went last year, I played Royal St. George's on my way up to Scotland, um, and actually made my way up and I didn't play Hoy Lake, but I visited. Um, it's a little bit more challenging to get on than some of the other open venues, unless you really, really plan ahead. And I couldn't get a tee time, but I did go check it out. Um, and you're right. It is flat. It is exposed. I think there's more subtle ripples than people yeah. give credit for. It's a little bit like St. Andrews in that regard. St. Andrews does have the big sand dunes that are kind of on the margins. Uh, but what makes St. Andrews interesting is sort of the internal ripples just everywhere all over the place that kind of kick balls in subtle ways that you don't expect and create some not really uneven lies in the sense, nothing like Augusta or Capitol or anything like that. But um, there's some interesting sort of internal topography, but I do think the design quirky is a word you see used a lot. Um, it's just very, it looks simple, but it's not, which I think is challenging, right? It looks like it's kind of out there in front of you. Um, but there's a lot of places to make mistakes if you don't quite play the angles right or hit the right club to the right spot. Um, and you could see how it, it's difficult in ways that almost because it can lull you to sleep a little bit if you aren't if you aren't very strategic in how you approach it, because there's, there's places where you can get just a little bit sloppy and a little bit off. And all of a sudden you're wasting lots and lots of strokes. I want to give a quick weather update before we really start diving in here. Uh, and we sure. should, we should date us. We're recording this late on Monday evening. Um, so this is probably subject to change, but you know, it, it's actually changed fairly dramatically since I gave my last weather update on the Sunday podcast. I'm still seeing pretty steady, mild winds between 12 and 14 miles per hour on Thursday and somewhat fairly similar on Friday as well between 10 and maybe 16 gusts up to 16. I don't think that I'm not seeing like a, a massive difference between Thursday or Friday, a massive weather edge for for any wave of course that could change i think where the tournament really starts to get funky is saturday and saturday is the day that's really changed i mean when i did this sunday morning saturday looked really calm and now it looks like we're at bare minimum going to get some rain and and that's actually the day where we could get wind gusts up to 37 miles per hour in the middle of the day at 1 p.m. 
with a little bit of a light rain as well. Uh, and then Sunday calms back down again with a little bit of rain in the morning, but still kind of in the, in the steady range of gusts between 18 and 24 miles per hour. So to me, the way I see it is this is a tournament that's going to pick up some steam as we go along. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe there's some Twitter frustration over some somewhat easy scoring conditions on Thursday and Friday. And I don't see anything crazy in terms of one potential wave having a massive advantage of the other. Again, that could change. I'll talk about this when I update it on, on my Wednesday article, but it seems like Saturday, which I like by the way, because I would prefer that we get the most dramatic weather after the cut line because it just means that they're more more prone to letting them play through it because they'll have less time to make up ground and it we won't have to deal with some weather edge because I think a lot of us have made some bets already. And then Sunday, like I said, like Sunday is not quite Saturday, but certainly more windy and rainy than Thursday and Friday. So does this updated weather report change at all how you are looking at slash breaking down this tournament um some not as much as you think right because i tend to price in weather uncertainty into this event um and i also am a little bit nervous to make any judgments about what the forecast is going to be today i think the weather in this part of the uk is a bit more predictable than you know, up the further you get up into Scotland and over into Ireland, but I still think there's some unpredictability to it. So I'll be checking the weather as we get closer. But if it plays out this way, if there's rain and some wind, particularly on Saturday and Sunday, I think there's two things um, for me. I think we had an idea, and I, I've heard it floated elsewhere that this is going to be a pretty browned out firm test. I don't know that it's necessarily uh, necessarily materializing that way. I think we've seen a greener golf course in some of the um, videos that we've seen on Golf Channel and things of that nature here in the last few days. I know I read, um, although I've read a bit of a contradiction, um, Shackleford's newsletter where he claims that it's a little spongy and green, but he also claims that the rough has been so dry over the last you know few months that it's not playing very difficult. Maybe both those things can be true, right? Like green, lush fairways and also dried out rough. I don't know. That seems a little weird. I think it, if it's dry enough that the rough's not going to be a challenge, you would think the fairways would be firmer. But they I've could, seen... They could be watering the fairways and just letting the rough grow out would be my possible. guess of how, how that would play out. You know, I also, I think Golf Channel did a video, or I guess Golf Digest did a video where they sort of predicted that you would not see the same sort of browned out, super firm, test in fact there was a suggestion that maybe hoylake had almost had to go the other way and, and change its approach to manipulate its golf course to be firmer than it normally would because they didn't have the length or other tools to protect the golf course in the last two times i think now a few new holes or i guess one new hole but some redesigned holes a longer golf course they've made a change to one hole i guess from a par five to a par four I think they feel more comfortable that the golf course itself can hang. It's longer. You know, it's, it's going to be a pretty long test. And mm -hmm. if it's a little bit moist, I can see this being a place that uh, demands longer driving than maybe we've been talking about. I don't know yeah. that it's a, 
a five iron, nine iron, five iron wedge kind of test anymore. The longer it gets, the more I think the guys, the big, big fish at the top separate from the also rans. So I'm, I'm thinking more and more, the wetter it's going to be, the more it's going to take the real, you know, Mustangs up at the top versus being the kind of open where you could see just anybody up there. So Michael Kim, I actually thought put out a really good tweet today after playing the back nine at Liverpool. I'm going to read a quote from his tweet and I want to get your reaction. It's not firm like 2006 or 2014 yet. If it stays like this, we are not going to be hitting irons off most tees like Tiger and Rory did. Fairways are green from all the rain and lots of holes, back nine in parentheses, are into the wind. You're hitting lots of drivers and it's playing long. Very well could change by Sunday though. Lots of dog legs left with left to right wind draws preferable or you need to be able to aim way left for a cut. I can see why Rory did well with his preferred draws back then. Not too different to Wells Fargo and US Open tee shots wise, I think. What is your reaction to that? Because I, I have some thoughts. I think it lines up with exactly what you were just saying. Well, I saw your tweet response. I don't want to steal your thunder. Um, you pointed out to him that that's interesting because when Clark won both those events, hitting uh, something between a banana slice and, and just big, dramatic, bold cuts. Right. Um, I think that's one of the most amazing things about what happened in the U.S. Open. <laughs> uh, Wyndham Clark was hitting absolutely the wrong shot shape for half those holes. I mean, just bodacious cuts over trees, like on number 12, that totally brought in all the trouble, and he managed to pull them off. Um, I think that golf course, it was set up so well for Rory because he's hitting draws into all the holes that demanded draws, um, and Wyndham Clark wins anyway, right? Uh, but I do, I think Kim's point um, – is well taken. I mean, the more drivers that are being hit out here or that you have to hit, the more it, it just screams Scheffler because he hits it long and straight and it screams Rory. Cause I, I mean, I heard Brandel Chambly kind of do a swing analysis on Rory today and was breaking down sort of where his club position is in the takeaway and at the top and just showed kind of where he was, you know, six months ago at the Phoenix open with a shot of his swing from last week and then compared to 2014 and just showed how he's got the club almost in the same positions he did in 2014 versus how cupped and laid off he was even six months ago. And it's pretty, I mean, I, you don't notice it with the bare eye. It's pretty obvious. He's made some swing changes um, that nobody's really talked about. And it makes sense because he's hitting the ball miles better than he did, you know, even four months ago. So obviously Talk yourself fuck, into Rory. Fuck yeah. You don't have to, but everybody's going to talk you into Rory this week, but not just him. I mean, the guys who hit. No, not this podcast. <laughs> well, I told you after the U.S. Open, I said, Andy, I said, this, the U.S. Open was never where the drought ended. Like, that wasn't nearly romantic <laughs> enough, right? It had to be at Hoylake where he gets his first open, heading back to Britain. With the, I mean, these crowds for Rory, if he's in it, I mean, unless he's unless he's got Fleetwood or, you know, a, a Justin Rose, a really well-liked Englishman. I think the crowds would root him on, you know, against a Matt Fitzpatrick. Like, I, I don't know that – I think he would be the favorite there. Probably, unless, yeah. Right, unless it's so a fair, Well, give me, like, a Fleetwood, maybe, you know. But I think uh, he's going to have a lot of support, and that can go one of two ways for him, right? He's the kind of guy that 
he'll either crumble under that and you'll see slumps, slumped shoulders, disappointed in himself, Rory, or, you know, it, it really could help carry him. But beyond the nostalgia of it, I mean, the wetter it plays, God, they're going to be needing to hit drivers into these little tight windows. There's a small number of players who can consistently do that without taking themselves out of play. I mean, five to eight guys who can drive it well enough to win this tournament, if that's going to be the case. Yeah, the one thing I would say, and, you know, regarding the Michael Kim quote, this is all based out of a wind out of the West that they got today. And that looks like it's going to be the general direction for the tournament. And that's good because that's how I chose to break down the course is expecting a Westerly win, which makes me feel better about my breakdown. That still could change. And, you know, the win today was more of a pure Westerly wind. It looks like during tournament week, it will be more of a Northwest wind. And then on Sunday, they kind of got this new Southwest wind. Point being, things could change. But I do think that the wind that Michael Kim saw today will at least be coming from the general direction tournament week. And when I went through the golf course again, really focusing on that Westerly wind, I do kind of agree with him about the draw thing. And if I was as confident in the wind yesterday as I was today, I might have bet Rory instead of Scheffler, although I still maintain that the nine on Scheffler was a really fucking good number. And those are gone. Um, because but but you know, this is a perfect wind. If if it's the westerly wind, that's a perfect wind and perfect setup for Rory's shot shape. So maybe that ends up being different for me in terms of a DFS decision. But, you know, like I said on Twitter to Michael, you know, Wyndham won both of the tournaments that he compared this these tee shots to hitting exclusively a massive cut. So that feels a bit of a contradiction to me in the sense that I just wouldn't take shot shape as, as gospel. Uh, you know, Augusta, was this golf course that everyone thought you needed to hit a draw to the point where players were trying to change their game to hit a draw prior to the masters until guys like Brooks and Rom showed us that you could be just fine hitting a tight fade. And if you have control over your golf ball, you're going to be quite fine. You know what shot shape works at literally every golf course in the world straight. Straight. So yeah. So anyway, maybe that's a tiebreaker for you in the Rory Scheffler debate that I think maybe some of these Tee shots might set up a little bit better for Rory, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't take it as gospel either. Well, I, I, I'm with you on that. I mean, I think the modern driver and the modern golf ball, they they all hit it relatively straight. I saw on the ESPN Plus coverage of the Scottish, they were talking about a um, guys were hitting like fade draws, the weirdest thing in the world. Balls were fading and drawing at the same time, but really they were just going dead straight. Um, and that's kind of what you see. I mean, Scheffler hits it on a string. He hits it pretty straight. And Rory these days, he doesn't hit a big, you know, tumbling draw. He hits a ball that curves four yards a little bit right to left, right? So I think guys who drive it long and straight, regardless of their shot shape, um, are going to have a pretty big edge if those conditions hold, particularly with those nervy tee shots down the stretch, 18, you know, obviously with the OB that we've seen and all that. So, you know, I, I kind of hope those conditions hold. I really don't want to Ben Curtis uh, Open Championship. I'm romantic, but not in that way. I want to see the Stars win. Yeah, so last question before we dive into the slate. I always ask you this. 
Um, I just haven't been able to do the content thing that I usually am able to with majors. I've had the wonderful, wonderful experience of traveling all throughout the month of July thus far. And, you know, I feel really confident about my own breakdown, but I didn't have those extra couple hours to see what everyone else is saying is, I mean, are we probably on an island thinking that maybe the softer, longer, straighter, more driver heavy is everyone going down the big time accuracy route? Is there a prevailing narrative that seems to be formulating this week? Yes. Um you know, particularly, I think Mayo at Mayo's done what thirty-eight shows um, already, or something like that. Um, good ones. I mean, interesting characters on them. Um, obviously, you had Steve Banford, like you did, and I think you had one with Ben Coley that was interesting. Um, even if I don't necessarily agree with anything that was said in the podcast, I'm glad uh, it exists. Uh, <laughs> I have no, I, I, t- say- I have no comment. I have, I, I love, well, no, I love that. I love everyone involved, but I haven't. No, I, haven't I like them too. Yet. And I thought they were certainly worth listening to. I, I got no problems with the people that were involved. I just don't necessarily agree. Um, I think, you know, Mayo has been pushing the narrative that, um, you know, driving doesn't matter at all. Right. So therefore Rory's weapon is taken out of his hands. And this no. Is a, Are you serious? Yeah. This is a place where uh, Denny McCarthy could win. I think I heard. And then, I mean, of course he could, but. Uh, and then I want to bet Ricky Fowler at 22 to one, you know, stuff like that. So <laughs> that is kind of what's been percolating um, is that this is a place where you can hit the, you'll go in, you'll hit five iron, five iron into a lot of holes. Like I heard a lot of that, uh, which, you know, maybe true on some holes, but I think uh, people believe that driving is going to be de-emphasized. Another thing that I think I've heard in podcast a lot is the belief that the rough is going to be incredibly penal, right? I think mm-hmm. Mayo kept, uh, alluding to the fact that if you miss the fairway by five yards, you may be, in a, there's so many gorse bushes and you may be in one. Uh, I mean, this isn't Scotland. I know there's gorse out there, but this place is not littered with gorse. This is, and Royal Liverpool has its fair share of bad places to end up, but this is not Shroon, you know, where your gorse is lining the fairways. And I think the returns on the rough this week are that it is not a huge problem. You're going to have a little bit of difficulty controlling your ball, but not advancing it. Advancing, it's going to be, um, you're going to be okay. And if you get lucky, we kind of saw that last week, right? I mean, God, the best shot of the tournament was hit out of the, I know it was on a path, but Bob McIntyre was out of the rough. I think lots of guys hit lots of really good shots out of the rough, and it feels like the rough here um, is not going to be as big of a problem as people think. So what does that tell you? Well, bombs away, right? If you got a long, soft course where people need to be hitting driver, and then you've got rough that, you would prefer not to be in it, but it's not a penalty. Uh, then you're going to see guys, uh, you know, bombers have have an edge. And I think the current narrative is that if you miss the fairway, you're smoked, and this golf course is going to play very short. Um, I don't think so. So I'm glad that's out there. Okay. So as this pertains to DraftKings, do you think that that is why I am? surprisingly seeing lower numbers on the guys at the top than I would have expected, even with the price. Now, we cannot have a conversation about this without talking about how different the pricing is for this major than not just any other major we've seen in recent. This is like old school DFS pricing. This is like the pricing that came out back in the day before I even was playing. 
right? So maybe you could speak to this better than I can, but we are, you know, 12.5 to 5.5, right? So you have these three guys at the top. I mean, maybe we talk about Rory and Scheffler on their own because there's a 700 difference between Rory and Rom and a 600 difference between Rory and Scheffler. But what do you think people are going to do when they see such different numbers than they are used to seeing at the top of the board, but also much lower numbers on guys at the bottom of the board? Well, there's two ways to think about it, right? Like unfamiliar territory, either it becomes kind of an attractive nuisance and people are intrigued and they want to, oh my God, I can play a $5,800 guy. Yeah. You know, it's exciting and they go look there or it's uncomfortable. It's weird. Let me stick to the number ranges that I'm comfortable building. Um, I think there's going to be a combination of those two, but I do think in this tournament, it's interesting because it's this tournament. If they went with this approach at anywhere else, right, at the U.S. Open, you wouldn't see a lot of dumpster diving. But I think people are comfortable here because you have Paul Dunn every now and then, right, just pop up and be in the final group. So I think there's there's an interest in dumpster diving and getting weird euros and stuff at this tournament anyway. And now people think to themselves, well, shit, I can do it at 5,700 versus 64. Sign me up. But, of course, what does that come with? It comes with Scotty Scheffler being – Instead of being 11-8, like he might be normally, he's 12-5. So what I do think is going to happen is you're going to see a variation of approaches. Um, well, you're either going to see people just fade the top and live in that middle range because they want to build in a way that's comfortable. Um, and you're going to see some subset of people kind of dip their toes into that $5,000 range because it's kind of fun and it's kind of new. Uh, but I don't know that anybody really knows. There's not a lot of literature out there on how to build a lineup under these conditions. It's so long since any of us have really done it. So it's hard to predict what people are going to do. Okay. If I gave you rough guesses on this range, uh, let's start with the 10K. Scheffler, Rory, Rom, Cam Smith, Brooks, Xander, Hovland. So there's seven guys above 10K all the way up to 12.5. What does ownership for you look like in this range? Who do you think is the highest owned? How do you think things shake out? So I heard our pal uh, Wiley say he thought it was going to be Giga Chalk Week on Rory, and I pushed back and said, no, I think Rory's actually going to be the guy that people think is Giga Chalk, and then everybody gets cute and, you know, goes somewhere else, and then he comes in not low owned, but not high owned either. I stand by that. Um, I think he's at a weird price point. He's he's priced very high, um, but anybody who's going to go that high is going to be dumpster diving, so they might want Scheffler. Uh, I think Scheffler and Rory are going to end up being pretty close in ownership. I think there's a lot of people that are going to play Scheffler just because he feels like his floor is so high. Um, I think the narratives around this golf course and Cam Smith's price as well. 10-7 is like fourth highest uh, price golfer is much higher than we've seen him in majors so far. And I think if people think you have to be straight off the tee, they're not going to like Cam Smith. And if people think you have to be long off the tee and long and straight, they're not going to like Cam Smith. So I he's going to be one of those guys that no matter which approach you like, um, I don't know that he's going to be very attractive. So I do think Cam Smith's going to come in at the lowest home. John Rahm to me feels like a very good candidate to be the guy everybody thinks is sneaky, who is not sneaky. Um, mm. 
he's, I mean, the price savings there is, is absurd. I mean, $1,300 difference with Scheffler going under, under talked about, but I think he picks up steam late in the week. And I think he comes in almost equivalent with Scheffler and Rory. I think those three guys are going to kind of all live in that 16 to 18, 15 to 17 kind of range. Uh, I'm seeing higher numbers on Brooks than I expected. Uh, but you know, that with Brooks, it's really hard to tell. Uh, and Xander and Hovland are interesting. I do think Hovland's going to be very popular. I could see Hovland being the most popular of the non Rory Scheffler Rom guys, just, you know, particularly as the, um, sawgrass sort of narrative, uh, develops, you know, he played very well there in the final round, almost ran down Scheffler, uh, there for a minute. It looked like he was going to. So I do think Xander could be a guy that kind of gets squeezed here, though, because here's the deal with Xander. Why play Xander at 10-1 when you could play Cantlay at 9-9? So I think the people who – the real sickos like you who play Cantlay and Xander, mm-hmm. um, they're just going to take the price savings, and you're probably not going to play both of them because who in the world could be sick enough to do that? Mm-hmm. So I could see Xander coming in, maybe the lowest – Xander and Cam certainly the lowest owned of these uh, of this group. Okay, so here's my concern. Here would be my pushback to Rory not being highly owned. Um, I, you know, I think everyone is at the point, almost the phenomenon that you're saying with Rory. I'm curious if I, I do right now think Scheffler will be higher owned than Rory, but um, I think once people actually start building Scheffler lineups. They're going to say to themselves, oof, this would look a lot better if I just played Rory. I mean, a $600 price difference between Scheffler and Rory is not insignificant. I like Scheffler a little bit more than Rory this week, but that should be $200, $200, $300 between the two. I mean, Rory's the favorite in the betting market. Um, and so I do think when it's all said and done, like right now, if I had to make a guess, I have Scheffler at like 18 and Rory at 16, which is both manageable, you know, because that they put them high enough that it saves those guys from potentially being 25, which is what they would have been if they were in the high 10 Ks or even low 11 Ks. I just think the way that Scheffler hamstrings you at 12, five, there are going to be a lot of Scheffler people that might pivot off of Scheffler at the 11 hour if they start not liking Scheffler's price. If they not if they not start not liking how those Scheffler lineups look, um, but I also think there's a group of people that would look at this and say to themselves, "Why am I not just playing Brooks Kepka at two thousand dollars cheaper than Scotty Scheffler and fifteen hundred dollars cheaper than Rory?" I mean. The difference in yeah, yeah, the the difference in price between Scheffler and Brooks is the difference in price between Corey Connors and something named Dan Bradbury. I mean, literally, that's the difference between Scheffler and Brooks. The difference between Scheffler and Brooks Kepka is the difference between Joaquin Neiman and John Daly. So, like, I like Scotty and Rory more than I like Brooks at this golf tournament. But from a DraftKings perspective, when you really think about it, it, it is hard to justify not playing Brooks, I feel like, a little bit. Well, let me kind of take your point and flip it around 
just on one thing. The, that is a huge price savings between Brooks and Scotty. I'll, I'll agree there. And the players that you mentioned, the sort of difference between so-and-so and so-and-so, those are significant. To the point of Scheffler and Rory, you were talking about, well, shoot, if I could save the $600, it looks a lot better with Rory. One of the reasons I'm not sure that's true is because even though I do think there's a huge difference, if you take $2,000 of salary down here at the bottom, there's a huge difference. There's also not a lot of difference between guys who are $600 apart. I think one of the weird things about this tournament is that after the first six, seven guys, there's this huge pot of like 30 dudes who all feel kind of the same and their price radically different. Let's say, for instance, you've got... Oh, I don't know, Cameron Young at $9,000. You really feel that much better about Cam Young than you do Tony Finau or Max Homa? All of them kind of disappointing and weird fits. Like Bryson at 8,800. Okay, fine. You like him that much better than Justin Rose at 8,000? Like it's a weird, it's a really strange, like Justin Thomas at 86, right? Like you kind of almost feel like you could play Tom Kim and get the same thing. So I think there's a lot of places on this board in this little like middle range, like for instance, eh, Brian Harmon at 73, let me go down and, and look and see Bob McIntyre at 68. Like, are you really getting that much of a difference with $500 spent on Brian Harmon versus what you could get out of Bob McIntyre after what you saw last week? So I do think the variations, it's kind of weird because there's this elite group and obviously there's differences in the guys up there. And then there's this huge pot of guys who kind of feel the same, right? Like Jordan Spieth and Shane Lowry. I mean, $600 difference? Like, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Sam Burns and, and Tony Finau. Sam Burns and Justin Rose. You know, Taylor Gooch and Joaquin Neiman. There's price $300 price difference there, but why, right? You could make an argument that Neiman should be priced $300 ahead of Gooch. So I think in the middle pot, all these players kind of feel the same. Uh, and then there's this huge fall off, right? When you get down into the kind of $6,500 range where you're talking about Francesco Molinari and, you know, getting down even lower. I mean, I'll save my stents and stuff for the end. Sure. And look, there are some guys I like at the bottom. Don't get me wrong. I'll I'll do some dumpster diving, but I think the reason you can play the guys up top is because I don't know that there's anybody who's super married to the kind of, you really have to have Ricky Fowler at 9,800 speed at 97. You have to have DJ at 92 or Cam Young at 9,000. Or can you just go down and live with what you've got with, you know, $8,200 fee now? I mean, it's kind of a weird range where you're not going to fall in love with anybody. Uh, And I think what spells it out, if you look at kind of the projections and look from $9,000 all the way down to 8,200, the only guy that anybody really likes is Wyndham Clark. I mean, from what I'm seeing, because all those guys, you kind of, there's reasons to fade them all. So I think what you're going to see people do is is play who they like at the top, regardless of price, and then dip down into these low eights and then, you know, into the sevens and even down into the low sevens. So that's the weird thing about the roster construction this week is that I think our bottom tier guys, because there's been such domination from the Scheffler, Rom, Rory side of things this year, Cantlay and Xander, those guys have not been winning, right? Mm-hmm. There's just no imperative to play the second tier guy. Um, so I think we could see a lot of that this week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. So, okay, give me, um, for this range, all things considered, one guy you're in on, one guy you're out on. Um, I'm in on Hovland. I know that. I mean, Rory, Rory's really the answer. But I love Rory this week. Of course, I do. Right? That's not surprised mm-hmm. anyone listening. But if you want to go a little sneakier, I'm in on Hovland. And it's such an easy answer. But I'm out on Cam Smith. Um, I kind of feel like that's a cop out. But I don't. I don't love. I don't love what I see here. Certainly at that price. Um, so I'm out on him. Yeah. I actually have Rom, I think, lower than you. I have Rom at like nine right now. And if you end up being right that he's the sneaky guy that isn't so sneaky, but you know, my numbers actually like Rom at this golf tournament more than they like Scheffler and Rory because Rom is still the best mid to long iron player in the world. And I think he's still a better putter than both Rory and Scheffler, particularly on these types of greens. Like I said, I currently have him at like you know, maybe nine to 12. And I haven't, I'm playing one of Rory Scheffler. I was initially going to play both of them never together. Although that is an interesting build, but I was going to have 50% of my lineups with Rory and 50% of my lineups with Scheffler. The more I think about it, the more I'm having a harder time getting away with Rom, getting away from Rom. Uh, But I will have probably one of Rory one of Rory or Scheffler and then Rom. And I'm with you on Cam Smith. Uh, you know, I know this is the most token. Everybody knows this obvious reason to not play Cam Smith, but I just don't think he drives the ball well enough to win on this golf course. And and I certainly don't subscribe to the belief that off the tee doesn't matter. I think this is one of the most first shot imperative golf courses that we see all season. And if I'm playing a guy at 10-7, I better think he can win. Um, and I don't think Cam Smith can win on this golf tournament, uh, golf course. I, I think he can gain 10 strokes putting and compete, but you know, Augusta, LACC, Kapalua, St. Andrews, those golf courses are all so, so wide off the tee. And even if you want to throw out the players, well, he lost five strokes off the tee at the players and gained 12 strokes putting. 
So if Cam wants to gain 12 strokes putting and beat me, then I, I think I'm probably okay with that. Yeah, I mean, he could sun run anywhere, right? I mean, if anybody watched that players, he was hitting it literally into places where you a, a foot or two to the right or left and he, his ball's wet, right? I mean, it wasn't, I'm not saying he got lucky, but he, he made a lot of putts. And if he Think does about that- how he paid, played 17 and 18 on Sunday. He hit yeah. the ball in the water on 18 and he had a dead pull that ended up right at the pen on 17. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that's what you're going to see out of him. And I don't, this just doesn't feel like the place for him. I've, I heard somebody say, well, Lynx course is, you know, driver is not that important. I disagree entirely. I, Me too. I've played a lot of Lynx golf and I've played it with people who drive the ball great, people who don't. And I know that's at the amateur level, but you can, I mean, if you're hitting the ball great and driving it great on a Lynx course, you can really gain an advantage. The ball runs forever in the fairway, right? It doesn't run forever in the rough. And people who drive it well keep it out of bunkers. Like typically on a Lynx course, your par fives tend to be real opportunities just because you can run the ball so far. You can run it really close to the hole. I mean, there's a lot of chances. It's not like your PGA Tour par fives where you're having to hit a 270-yard shot over water. You know, typically it's if you're getting it out there, you got a chance to get home. So I think driving the ball, particularly on a course that, you know, I think it can reward great driving and long driving and people who take a little bit of just controlled risk. And I don't think Cam Smith has the driving upside to take advantage of this kind of links course. I um I gave just to put a cap on the this range with a quick point on Hovland because I've gotten a couple questions today, like why did you sour on Hovland? Because uh I gave out on a podcast I recorded last Tuesday with Bamford Hovland as my pick to win. And I, I really like Hovland. Um, like I said, I thought he was going to be my pick earlier this week before I really dove in. I just, I got started on the Rory Scheffler stats and they're just better. They're just so much better at golf than him right now. And that's, <laughs> that's why I didn't bet him because I, I, I feel very strongly that one of Rory Scheffler will win this tournament. And as it relates to DraftKings with Hovland, I, I kind of just don't have, I mean, Hovland's going to be 12, 13% at least. And because Rory and Scheffler are priced so high and because people are going to play Ricky and stuff like that, like I'm not having to worry about that potential 25% chalk on Rory and Scheffler that I thought I was going to. And I just don't think that I have room for him in my pool. I mean, I like Hovland more than Xander. I like him more than Cam. I think I like him more than Brooks, although I think Brooks might be, just from a 40,000-foot view, the best play considering price. Uh, it's just kind of a can't-play-everyone-last-man-out situation. I don't really have ne anything negative to say about Hovland, and I actually think he's going to win a British Open in his career, but I'll just miss it this week if if that's the case. And then anything else? Like, I, we have a lot of Xander fans that listen to the pod. I just have such a, myself included, be, being the host of the pod, I just have such a bad taste in my mouth with Xander right now. I, I He looked pretty bad in Scotland. It just doesn't feel like he has like major winning juice right now. Um, and if I'm playing him at this price, I got to really have that picture in my head of him hoisting the trophy. And I can't believe I'm saying this. I would actually be like pretty damn shocked if Xander won a major right now. And this is coming from a guy that has long maintained that Xander is going to win majors 
And I think he is going to win a major, but he has not been good on golf courses that are more accuracy biased than distance. And and again, maybe that doesn't end up playing out as much as we think based on the softness, but you know, runner up at Carnoustie and he will be on the lower owned, but I just, I can't, I I'm not clicking it this week. And, and I certainly am clicking his other disgusting brother. My problem with Xander is just the price um, is prohibitive to me and the way I'm going to build my lineups, but I, I like him a little, I'm not quite as down on him as you are. I think he's, I think there's a baseline there that, that he can play from. Um, and I could see him hoisting this trophy. I think it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. I don't hate this golf course for him, but I just don't, I see a lower floor with Xander than some of the other guys. Um, and, and that's my issue with him. I, 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 maybe a lower floor and a lower ceiling, I guess. I mean, I, I know I just said I could see him winning, but realistically, I, I could see him slotting in anywhere from T10 to T48. And I'm not sure that that's the case for Victor, right? I mean, I think Victor, I could very easily, I, I think his ceiling Victor is can more win. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he could win this yeah. tournament, but realistically, T3 down to like T22, right? I, I think that's his range of outcomes. And if you're going to give me price savings on him, uh, then I would go there instead. Okay, nine K range. You start out with let's let's both do um let's go let's go popcorn on this. You do guy you like, I'll do guy I like, and then we'll do guy uh that we're both out on. So you start with sure. guy that you're you're absolutely playing in the nine K range. Shane Lowry. Oh my gosh, this is excellent. We usually agree on everything. He's my guy I'm absolutely out on. Let's talk about this. Let's talk this one through. Sort it out. You so, you you make the case first because I I'm going to throw some cold water on it. Okay, fair enough. You know, look, I think the the ball striking, um, you know, has been great. Right? I mean, if if we want to look at the off the tee strokes gained approach numbers, he's gained outside of last week. Sure. Well, I don't. Do we have last? Well, I guess you do on Rick Rungood, right? We do on Rick Rungood. Tell me what the off the tee and approach numbers were last week. He lost about minus eight ball striking. It was his worst ball striking uh, performance in years, and his so be- worst with the- his best putting performance in years. Worst ball striking performance since the CJ Cup, and he gained eight strokes putting. Yeah, I was going to say. I know he made about uh, he made seventy five. Yeah. He made a lot of bombs. I think he puts well over there. I think he feels more comfortable. Um, but okay. Right, weird Scottish Open conditions, and I know we're probably going to get some this week. But let's—if we say that one doesn't exist, you know, we're looking at what about ten straight weeks of of either elite. I mean, he's got a lead approach play in there, and then the off the tee stuff for Lowry is is kind of a combination of straight and long, right? I mean, he's one of those guys that isn't the longest, but he's he's longer than average, and and he's straighter than average typically too. So no matter how you think this course is going to play, I think he can drive it well enough to take advantage. Um, you know, the putter has been the problem, but I think there's some life being shown with the putter, right? I mean, he's gained in five out of his last six, uh, you know, and and the one he lost, I guess, the Canadian, he lost a stroke. And then at the Wells Fargo, he lost you know less than a stroke. So I think the putter has shown some life. And I think, I mean, when we're picking guys to win the British Open, right, I mean, it there's some feel to this, right? Being able to handle the conditions, uh, feeling comfortable around there. He lost how many, you know, strokes uh, ball striking last week and finished 12, 
right? I mean, he has the ability to to go low on these style horses. I mean, this obviously isn't very much like Royal Port Rush, but you know, I I like Lowry because I think you know whenever we we do strokes gain kind of comfort at the open, I think his floor is very high. I can't see him missing this cut. So that's a reason I like him, and I do think he has the juice to win this tournament. Played well in the majors, um, you know, for the most part. I mean, he's he's kind of shown that sort of form that can flash. Twelfth um, at the PGA, top twenty uh, at the U.S. Open. He's you know sixteenth at the Masters. He's kind of developed a nice little major floor uh, to him. Even going back to last year, I know he missed the cut at the U.S. Open, twenty-first at the Open, uh, third at the Masters, twenty-third at the PGA. So we're talking about what seven or six out of the last seven majors. He's been in the top twenty-five, and then. You know, you go back even further and it, it kind of looks the same, frankly. So that's the thing that I like about Shane Lowry. Now tell me why I'm wrong. That's a good case. Um, my pushback would be, how does somebody that was $7,900 at the Masters plays nine times since the Masters doesn't finish in the top 10 once or sniff contention get to 9,100 and is going to be maybe 10 to 15%. So I just think like, I don't understand why he's not in the mid eights. Like how is there Justin Rose has been so much better than Shane Lowry this year. How are they $1,100 in difference? I love Lowry. I play Lowry like crazy, but he's 83 at, at Oak Hill. He's 85 at LACC is, is the length stuff. Is it, is it that much of a bump into the nines for a guy that has, one top 10 all year, you know? And I guess it's like, does he feel like a pretty safe bet to finish between 10th and 20th? Probably. He does that a lot, but I think he can shoot higher. Um, and, and listen, if you think he has that, he's finished in the top 10, like once in 15 starts this year, he's done a lot of 10 to 20 fifths. I think you probably, if you're got your eyes on a GPP, you probably want to aim higher for your nine K guys, but I guess the counter to that is he's won an open championship and how many, how many other guys in this range have won an open championship? Not as many, but I, I just thought he'd be in the mid eights and well, if he's nine one and, and getting, you know, I, ha- what do you think his ownership will be? I think he'll be like 13, 14. No, I think he comes in lower than that. Cause I think he's okay. got some guys just above him who are very popular and given how spaced out things are, I mean, I know 9,100 to 9,600 with Morikawa is not exactly, I mean, they're not exactly in the same range, but Morikawa is going to be very popular. So interesting to me. Why do you think that is? I'm just curious because there was a big pushback on Morikawa for a while this year because he lost in a playoff at the Rocket Mortgage. Well, look down the board and see what you see. I mean, look who's popular this week. Colin Morikawa, Terrell Hatton, Tommy Fleetwood. Wyndham Clark's a bit of an outlier, but, you know, Tom Kim, pretty popular. Corey Connors, looking Brian, very popular. Brian Harmon, Denny McCarthy. So you're right. It's probably that narrative taking hold. Chris Kirk is, is projected, at least on Fantasy National, at 6.6%, which is, oh, I don't know, uh, 13 times how, how many times? 13 times higher than Ben On, who almost won the tournament last week, and 20 times higher than Nikolai Hoygaard. You know, not to say that he's not a better pick than those guys, but not 10 to 15 times. And what does that tell you? It's just that guys who are going to hit it kind of 
short and straight are, I think, overvalued this week because I think the narrative misunderstands this golf course. So in that light, I think Shane Lowry, you know, when you've got Morikawa, when you've got Hatton, when you've got Fleetwood, even DJ, who's priced down, and I think people are going to like to play, I think you could see Lowry um, slide a bit, not a lot, maybe 8 to 10% versus 13 to 14, which is a pretty big difference. So I think he he provides a little bit of ownership relief, at least in my view. Yeah, I mean, I do think Lowry will be lower than Fowler. I think he'll be lower than Morikawa. I think he'll be lower than Hatton. And I think he'll be lower than Fleetwood. I think all of those guys will be between, I don't know, seven, uh, 18 and 13%. I, so I'll give you my guy I'm absolutely in on. I talked about this in my Sunday pod. I am so enamored with the way that Cantlay is driving the ball right now. Um, I, I think he is more accurate with his driver than any other elite player right now, outside of, I guess, Morikawa. And, you know, for all the shit that he gets for not contending in majors, I mean, you know, he he does just keep finishing 12th. Um, you know, he's finished top 15 in six of his last eight majors. And yeah, I guess he actually, like, he doesn't have to win at this price the way that he was priced at open at a, at the U S open at the, the PGA championship, especially in the betting markets too. Like I I'm not betting him at 28, 33. I think there was some lone 35s to one too, but cause I'm, I'm in on Scheffler, but I mean, to me, that's the second best bet on the board, especially considering the fact that he was 14 to one at the last major, what really changed. Um, but again, like I, I think Cantlay's ability to finish 10th in this tournament is a lot higher than people want to give him credit for. And now he's at a price where you can pair him with the guy that you think is going to win, which in my case is Ron Murray or Scheffler. I mean, I guess I'll, you know, I'd like more than a 10th out of him, but man, this is such a good golf course for him off the tee. And he's such a good putter. And I have him at 10% lower yeah, than Ricky, I, I, lower than Morikawa, lower than Fleetwood, lower than Haddon maybe lower than Lowry. So I think the sentiment's kind of down on him. He was a really popular bet at the Scottish Open last week at 14 to 1, and he let a lot of people down, and I think there's opportunity there. I don't hate Cantlay. I'm not going to try to talk you off Cantlay. Um, you know, I mean, I think the thing with Cantlay is just an issue of belief, right? I mean, watching Cantlay, do you believe that he can compete, uh, really compete in a major? Because some of these decent major finishes have been a little backdoory. And people are, it's kind of a, an issue of feel for him um, in terms of how people feel about playing him. I, I think he, the Who do you think is more likely to win, Cantlay or Xander? I think Cantlay is more likely to finish higher than Xander in the tournament, but I think Xander is more likely to win. That makes sense. Huh. Interesting. I think I'd go the other way. I think they're kind of almost like equally likely to finish 10th. And I think I, I can envision Cantlay winning this thing more. Interesting. Fair enough. I don't know that I ever see Cantley winning the Open Championship. Xander has contended in majors more than Cantley in terms of like being relevant in the tournament on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday for that matter. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I'm not going to talk you off of Cantley. I don't, I don't hate it, and I think he could pop, and I think he certainly has winning upside. Um, and if he's if he's truly going to come in at 10 percent on. Which he very well may, because uh, he's kind of in that. We talk about it a lot, right? A little sandwich spot. He's being squeezed uh, by two guys that everybody is going to want to play. 
then I don't mind it depending on what the rest of the roster construction looks like. Okay. Give me, give me who you're out on. Absolutely out on not playing. Tyrell Hatton. Yeah. It's six, 16, 17%, right? Something like that. Yeah, no way. I mean, floor too low, blow up potential too low. I don't know if he likes Royal Liverpool. Maybe he hates <laughs> it, right? Maybe he likes it now. And then he hits one out of bounds and he hates it. And he's yelling to his caddy. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think he's a good steward of my money is my position on Hatton. Uh, And I know that's kind of a cheap, lazy way to just eliminate him. But I think he's the kind of guy that when the conditions get tough, I don't trust his brain. Um, I don't trust his brain at Augusta when the ball starts rolling. I don't last week. He totally ejects, right? I mean, he's, he's there with a chance to win conditions get tough and he can't do it. And I think there's going to be rain. If there's going to be a source of frustration, then Terrell Hatton is not going to have my money right. I'll start with the guy I'm in on in the 8K range. Well, I'll start by saying this. I think the best bet at the Open, I thought it was Scheffler at 9 on Sunday. I have changed my mind. I think the best bet at the Open that you can make is 100-1 to 1 on Hideki. Um I slightly overexposed myself this week to bet that number because I I just think it is simply so absurd. I think he is, from a DraftKings perspective, maybe a touch overpriced, um, but he's probably my favorite play in the eights. Um, he is a really accurate, trustable driver of the ball, an excellent, excellent mid to long iron player. Um, I think that if this does turn into more of an accuracy test off the tee, which I think is definitely important. He has been really good on those types of courses, even if it's softer, longer, long irons. I think he can win on that golf course too, a la Augusta and in places like Firestone. You know, he's been six at places like Muirfield, but he's also, you know, has three top tens in his last six starts at Sawgrass. Um, so I like Hideki a lot this week, and I don't think he's crossing seven or eight percent. I think what ends up holding him back is the um, uh, is the open form, you know, open history. I think people will think which a look is at fair. That. And and it's you know I, I don't know that I'm marrying myself to someone's open form because um, you know things change and, and conditions change, and you you know it can be a very different tournament than what we've seen before. Um, however, you know I don't hate Hideki. Uh, my guy in this range that I like uh, is actually Max Homa. I like him too. Yeah, I like him too. I cringe a little bit. I mean, I think we saw some signs of life last week. It looks like ball striking. I'm not going to call it back, but I think it, it's looked better. Even, you know, in the U.S. Open where he kind of just ejected himself in a very weird way at the end of that Friday. And the Travelers, he... Did it okay, and then obviously better at the Rocket Mortgage, and he finished pretty well last week. I think he is the kind of guy who's kind of a gutsy guy. I think he should play well in the conditions long term. If you believe the players comp, then you know it's this is a good spot for him. He's kind of shown the ability to steer the ball around. Two straight, pretty good finishes at the Scottish Open, so comfortable-ish on the links. So, I mean, he's my guy, and I think he's going to come in at extremely low ownership. The only downside, of course, is, I mean, speaking of guys who have never done anything ever in a major, you know, why I expect them to do it now. But, you know, it, it, this is going to kind of be a weird tournament, and I think he could. I think there's a lot of upside in his ownership. I like Hobo a lot, too. I mean, it's there's three guys I'm playing in this range, and 
Sung Jay and Hideki are absolutely two of them. I love Sung Jay too. And good by low spot. Sung yeah, Jay, sure. really good by low spot. And then my final spot is between Max Homa and Justin Thomas. Um, but <laughs> I need to talk about that on this podcast. Um, I say guy I'm out on, huh? You know, I'm not playing Bryson and there isn't a single guy in this range that I hate, but I guess I'll use this opportunity to talk about why I'm not playing Bryson. I have long maintained that, you know, there's trouble to be had with his single length irons on really undulating golf courses like Augusta and Kapalua and LACC. And he actually played better at LACC than I expected. Um, I think he finished 20th, which is not bad. Um, And this is a flatter golf course in theory, right? Um, Which should help with my theory for the places that I like him. And he has, you know, he's played good at sawgrass before as well i was very surprised at this at this price of of 8800 very very surprised that he was ahead of wyndham clark all things considered and i'm not playing wyndham either this week but i was i was pretty stunned that bryson got 88 and i was i was kind of like sneakily prepared to to try my hand at him in the in the maybe low eights or high sevens um because all he's really done in between is, you know, he finished 20th at the U S open as I think he was what 79 at the U S open 7.9 at the U S open. I can check, but I was just very surprised to see Bryson at, at 8.8 and I know he'll be kind of low owned. So I can't really argue with it at that sense. There's again, really no one in the eight K range that I absolutely hate. Uh, but I was surprised to see Bryson get that 8.8 tag. He was 7.6 yeah. at the U.S. Open, by the way. 7.6 yeah, at the U.S. Open and finished 11th at Centurion and 2nd at Valderrama. There's been a steep climb for him. I think his climb in terms of price uh, has had everything to do with um, the sort of belief that live golfers are not lost, you know, or not broken toys. I think he's kind of settled into a sort of former Bryson number. Um, and I'm not sure he's Bryson of three years ago, right? I don't think that's exactly who we're dealing with right now. I don't hate Bryson here because I do think it's a place where if the theory holds that you're going to need to hit it a long way and you kind of not be way offline, but you can be a little bit offline. Um, I don't hate him. And we've also seen Bryson when he's had to, we've seen him club down effectively. And I think yeah. he, he is thoughtful enough. I mean, people, Bryson's not one driver and bla- and trying to blast it 200 mile an hour ball speed when there's out of bounds on the right, you know, four feet from the fairway. That's just not the golfer that he is um, now. I mean, he can hit it off the planet, but I think he at least tries to be thoughtful. So I don't hate him uh, in this spot. He's certainly not my guy. You know, I would say the guy that I'm out on in this price range, and maybe it's just spite from a month ago, but I'm out on Wyndham Clark. I think mm-hmm. he's going to be highly owned because I don't think people love anybody in this range and he feels like a safe play. And I think people think they're getting – a bit of a price discount on him. I don't think so. I think if anything, he's fairly priced and he may be overpriced a little bit. I am famously not of the belief that Wyndham Clark is an elite player. I think he's had a couple good tournaments. I think he hits it okay. I think he sun runs with the putter every now and then, but I don't think he is yet a consistent 
a guy who's going to consistently strike the ball well. I mean, God, yeah, he won the U.S. Open. Before that, he had one top 70 in a major ever. Mm-hmm. And not just that. I mean, he's got a, a long list of opposite field T32s and miscuts. Um, so I don't, I don't think he's a player that should be priced ahead of Sam Burns or Max Homer or Sung J.M. or Tony Finau. Um, I think he probably lives more appropriately in the Adam Scott, Jason Day, Taylor Gooch range, frankly, um, even if he did win the U.S. Open. And I've got no reason to believe that he's some sort of elite links or open championship player at all, ever. Uh, so to the extent people are going to play him at 15% in this range just because he won the last major, they can go ahead and do that. They have my shares. Do you have Justin Rose as the highest in this range? I do, which is I just wanted to give his name mention because I I bet him and I like him oh, a yeah, lot, he's a, but I he's have an him. Easy, yeah, he's a very I'm pretty high salary relief, and I think there's a lot of good reasons to play him. I think English narrative. I think he hits it. He's been hitting it good, and this course suits him. There's a lot of reasons to like Justin Rose. I think he is a little bit underpriced. I think he, him and Sam Burns should be the same price, and I think they should both be priced higher for the park. Okay, so sevens, we won't do guys that we're out on because it's just such a big range. I mean, unless we want to, we can say a guy we're out on at, at high ownership, we'll probably have the same guys because I think there's some ridiculous numbers. It's still early, but some ridiculous numbers at the bottom. But give me give me two guys in the sevens that you're you're pretty in on. Um, I'm in on Adam Scott. I know that's a cop out because he's the back of the um, top of the list there. I think this is a good golf course for him. And I think he's, I mean, I watched him last week. He, he, it felt like he kind of hit the ball better um, than he didn't get rewarded for decent ball striking. Obviously uh, played great at the travelers in spurts, pretty strong Memorial. You know, he's played better than people give him credit for uh, open form. Uh, certainly kind of, he's got scar tissue here, but you know, he's usually, Pretty good bet to make the cut here and with a lot of top 15, top 20 type upside. Uh, I don't know that he's got winning upside at this point in his career, but I, I like him and I think he could play well. And I do think because people like Justin Rose so much, uh, I do think he's going to come in a little bit lower on. Another guy that I think I'm you know, absolutely in on here in the $7,000 range uh, is actually, well, I don't know that I'm so in on anyone. But, you know, if I, if I have to, and you will, you'll have to play a bunch of people from here. I, I really like Thomas Peters. I know that's weird um, to say, and putting any of your money on Thomas Peters is is always a little bit sketchy. But um, I kind of like him. When you get over into Europe, I feel like he feels a little bit more comfortable. He's going to hit the ball a long way. You know, he's been making cuts here recently for the most part in, in the majors. Uh, U.S. Open, you know, last year in the Open, finished 28th. He should have made the cut at the U.S. Open. He kind of evaporated late, but he was right there. I mean, he I actually was watching him, and he missed the cut by one or two. And I think he four-putted twice on Friday. Um, one time, I think twice he hit a par five greens and uh, four-putted for bogey. So not great uh, with the putter, but I think these are easier greens to putt. I think he's comfortable putting on these greens. So I think that kind of neutralizes one of his um, – one of the things that really keeps Thomas Peters from competing. So I could see him play well. And this feels like you could look at a leaderboard on, on Friday afternoon and Thomas Peters is T eight. It would, it makes sense. You wouldn't be shocked by it. Good transition into the live portion of the show, because this is, this is where I turn into 
This is where I turn into a live stand a little bit as we get down here. You know, the, it's really funny. The only guy I've never been a, well, I should say, cause I've always liked DJ, but you know, I've never been a big cam or a big Brooks guy or really cared a whole lot about any of the guys that went to live except Joaquin Neiman. I love Joaquin Neiman. I've always liked Joaquin Neiman. I think he got duped. I mean, not that it ends up mattering at this point, because who knows what golf looks like, but this is like a 21-year-old kid that had a fast-moving agent that uh, made a lot of deals with a lot of the other web guys, whole other podcast, but and got a lot of money under the table from some some other executives. Again, whole other podcast, but this is a guy... I, I, I think Neiman's one of the best drivers in the world. I mean, this is a guy who won Riviera like running away, like against an elite field. And he seems like one of those guys that's just been fine on live and been playing well. But I think he's such an immense talent. He's young. He's younger than a lot of these guys still, younger than the Zalatoruses and the Schefflers and the Morikawas. And I think he's going to make some noise in his career and whatever golf looks like going forward. Um, I But I, I... I hope that he continues to play in majors and I I'm going to, I'm playing him this week at this golf course. I, I think, I think this is a, a good buy sign on him. 7,500, four or 5%. Unbelievable driver of the ball. So I, I, I really like walking Neiman this week. I'm not even, you know, people do the, Oh, he hits the ball low in links conditions. I, you know, sure, maybe that's not even why I love him, but I, I just because I think I, there's a lot more control over ball flight that, that at the highest level than ever before. But sure, if you want to add that to the Neiman less, I'm, I like that too. But Neiman's well, here, same price range as Harris English and Russell Henley. I mean, I think Neiman's, he's just a different caliber he, of player. He's so good. I think he's, yeah. I think he's so good. All right, Siwoo Kim too unquestionably my favorite play in the low sevens. I bet him at 150 to one. He is such an accurate driver of the golf ball, a really solid middle to long iron player. Awesome short game, awesome bunker player. He won the players out of nowhere. Um, and he's a much better player now. I think him and like, honestly, Louie are the two most likely players to win this tournament below 7.5. Um, I can't say enough good things about how I feel about Siwoo this week. And I am so grateful that he is sandwiched in between Brian Harmon and Denny McCarthy this week to keep his under ownership under control. I people always tout Siwoo. So like this isn't a, a super sneaky play, but he will be lower than Harmon and um he will be lower than Harmon and Denny and maybe even Hanley too. And I am so weird with some of the things I'm doing in this tournament that if Siwoo's like 10% or 8%, I, I don't care. That's fine. I'll tell you this. I play a lot of Siwoo, a lot of Siwoo. I've had him on like big, giant, winning GPP teams multiple times. Uh, and he tends to be under-owned, undervalued. He comes in lower than you would think. I don't know why. I think people have this idea of Siwoo as being erratic. I think particularly in this tournament, not a lot of open form, right? Play good last year, but not a lot of open form before that. And I think people see Siwoo as a bit of a head case, and I think it's true. But the place where he's least likely to be um, an idiot, I think, is at a major championship. If you look to the Mac Hughes tweet about him not warming up and about trying to hit cut drivers off the deck to tight. I don't 
Yeah, he does that when he's playing with Mac Hughes and the Travelers, and they're teeing off at 9.57 a.m. because they're both minus 2 T46, right? That's when he does that. I think he's less likely to do that here. He cares about this tournament. Um, so I don't hate Siwoo at all. I wish his ownership. I mean, if it, like I told you, I think it comes in a little lower, and I hope it trends that way. He's somebody I could certainly see myself playing. The ball striking has been immaculate. And if he can putt even – I mean, he can – Sun run with the putter too, and the short game can get crazy hot when he's when he's good. I mean, he chips in all the time. He can get up and down from anywhere. So if the short game and the around uh, around the green stuff comes to play, I mean, Siwoo Kim certainly finish like T four. He could win the tournament, but you could see him finish in T and carrying your lineup. Okay, uh, to put a cap on the seven range, just because there's some guys I want to talk about down here, but. I have the three highest guys, three highest owned guys in this range as Corey Connors, Brian Harmon, and Denny McCarthy. Um, I guess I'll ask you, who do you like the least out of those guys? Well, Denny McCarthy, probably. Me too. Uh, and let I me get Brian Harmon. I do. I get it. It's not for me this week. I, I do understand it. Yeah. And let me add that I think there's a lot of love on Minwoo Lee this week. And I think Ooh. he could continue to be steamed. Um, particularly the, you know, the good play at the players as that kind of percolates. And, you know, 19th at the or 18th at the PGA and then fifth at the US Open. I think a lot of people are gonna uh, click Minwoo Lee. I don't care for that at high ownership because I me think neither. he has explode out of this tournament early downside that's almost unlimited. Um, and I'm, I'm okay. If he's going to get up to 10% or more, I'm okay. Letting him sink 10% of the lineups. Okay. I'll lead us off in the six K range. There's like three or four guys I want to talk about. I'll, I'll give you one and we'll go back and forth. I, Louie is not playing bad golf on live. Um, whatever that means. And he's 6,900. He just finished fourth at their last tournament and sixth in DC and second earlier this year in Love Tucson. And, and, you know, these guys are just so gone from the consciousness of like mainstream golf fans. Like Louie just like doesn't exist. He's, he's not a part of the golf ecosystem anymore unless you're super relevant in majors or you're, Bryson or Brooks is the only way because because nobody that's why you know when people are like why is Rory on the website instead of Cam it's like why do you think Rory's on the website instead of Cam I have nothing against Cam but Cam took a bunch of money to to fish like why why do you think they're trying to market Rory you know so I think that Louie it's been forgotten. And and again, I talked about this with Neiman where I just, I'm so bummed that a guy like Neiman, who I think is a star is just out of the consciousness. And I think you can capitalize on those guys. We're like 24 months removed from Louie finishing top three and three of the four majors. And all of those, you know, one of them came at St. George's, both of the others came on like firmer golf courses. And man, you look at some of his finishes on firm major championships over the years. And it's just, it's pretty striking. And if he was finishing 30th every week on Lev, then I would say, cool, he's driving his tractor around. He doesn't give a shit. 
and maybe he doesn't give a shit, but he's finishing fourth, sixth, and second at these live tournaments. So I like if Louis is if you wake up on Thursday morning and Louis shot like five under at a major compared to the guys he's priced around, I, I it's it's maybe my favorite play on the slate. I mean, I I'm gushing over it. Yeah, I'm all over Louis. Um and I I hope the ownership stays in check. Oh. I do think I do think people love Jordan Smith and Bob McIntyre is gonna be so popular. I'm out it's, on Bob. I like Jordan Smith. Right. It's gonna kind of hold Louis in check, I think. And people love to play their own their favorite idiots, right? I mean, there's a Griot contingent, and I don't hate Griot, don't get me wrong. In the six, there's so many guys in this range that I don't think Louis going to get out of control, even though I don't think he's necessarily sneaky. But I think there's just so much upside at this price. To me, I like to look up the board, right? So if you look at a guy who's 6,900, I like to go up the board and go, he could easily be priced the same price as Ryan Fox, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why could he not be priced the same as, I don't want to say Minwoo Lee, but, you know, I mean, just you could go up at least a few hundred dollars. Adam Shane, right? Like, when the fuck has Adam Schink done anything in a major? I, I don't, you know, this, this is another reminder, too. People that play Daily Fantasy all year and they fall in love with their favorite PGA Tour idiot, right? Adam Schenk is, no offense, he seems like a nice guy, but that's kind of who he is. But what the hell has he ever done in a major championship? U.S. Open, miscut. PGA, miscut. You know, players, miscut, if you want to call that a big event. And then he's never qualified for another one. Okay, U.S. Open, I guess he's got a 24. I'm not going to go through them all, but he's never done jack shit in a major, right? So you kind of forget that major championship golf is something entirely different. And part of the reason for that is that guys like Louis Oosthuizen are able to sort of summon form, and they've got this game and this sort of steeliness that they know how to play these golf courses. Um, So I I think he's a value. And as long as his ownership is staying in that sort of four – 5% 5% range, you know, I think he's a great play. Uh, for me, you know, looking at this board in the 6,000s, there are some guys that I like even going, you know, a little bit lower than where you too. did. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind Ben Griffin. And I know that's, wow. he's way down here at $6,000. And he's another guy who's not really shown form in you know the majors, what I was just talking about. But played pretty well at the Scottish. If you believe anything about the players in the Honda kind of being sort of predictors for future good open mm-hmm. form, this guy led the players, what, halfway through? I know he eviscerated himself and finished 35th, but he's right there. Played really well at the API and the Honda, like tough golf courses where you kind of have to drive it well in order to compete. Um, don't hate him. And $6,000 is a low price. He's been over there in Scotland playing golf and, and in fact played very well. Uh, and I think he's the kind of guy, what do you need at 6,000, right? You need to make a cut. Uh, and I think he can make the cut here and he's much better than the guys around him. Um, and I'll give you one more while I'm kind of dumpster diving down here. Uh, I do think uh, that I am totally out on Thorborn Olison at his <laughs> ownership percentage, uh, but I am totally in on Emiliano Grillo. Um, at 6,600, he's priced up or not priced up, but his ownership's a little bit higher. I think the open form, the ability to drive it pretty long and straight. Uh, and I think the upside off the tee for me is pretty strong. He's 
he's gaining strokes off the tee uh, and playing pretty well uh, in spots. So I think his open form has been spotty, but when he's played well, he's risen up these boards. So I would uh, I, I'd place some money on him. I think he's 300 to one. Uh, and I would also I'd allow him to be in these DraftKings teams that, that get me the Rory up top and allow me to play the Rory for lineups and things like that. I just think, gosh, I was thinking about when you were doing your drive-by on Shank, because this is another guy I like. Why is Shank $200 more expensive than Straka? Don't you, feel like, don't you feel like Straka is actually like a bit underpriced at 7K flat? I think I may, well, I mean, he's, is, a, he's an accident waiting to happen, coming off of, you know, a win recently at a major, but I think Straka, I mean, I think Straka should be like 75. Well, Everything he's he's going to be like the ninth man on the European Ryder Cup team. Right. Everything that you like about Shank, you get in Straka, except that he actually wins. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 the kind of the high upside, except with even higher upside. And I think a little more pedigree. I mean, he's competed in sort of bigger events. And he, he won the Honda on a golf course that is all about avoiding landmines. That's exactly right. And he finished seventh at the PGA this year. I mean, yeah. he's actually flashed some form in a major. And he, uh, no one's playing him. I don't see any ownership for Straka. Yeah, I agree. I mean, God, the guy finished second in the playoff of him last year. I mean, you know, we're talking On about another it. golf course, that, I mean, that golf course is all about avoiding hazards uh, everywhere. You got a top 10 at the players. I mean, sneaky. Nobody probably remembers that. Um, you know, I, I'm... I would certainly play Substraka before I would play, um, you know, Adam Shank. But I don't know if I'll get to Straka, but I do think there's good. Re- you could make a very strong case to play him at that price. Um, all right, I'll do the Stenson thing quickly. So my two, I, I like Mirfield and Troon as other venues that have a lot of a, a lot of the same stuff going on that I like here in terms of a skill set from a skill set perspective. Stenson finished first and second on those golf courses. Just a couple other Stenson points. 20th at Portrush gained 8.4 ball striking. That's another Martin Ebert remodel. Six out of Furman Fast Shinnecock in 2018. 11th at Burkdale. Third at Oak Hill when it was all about finding the fairway. Fourth at a Furman Fast Pinehurst won the players championship. Um, and is he the player that he was back when he was dominating these strategic golf courses that are all about avoiding hazards? No, he is not that player anymore, but he has a better track record on this style of golf course than maybe anyone in the field. And he is again, like Louie, he is finishing. He just finished six at Centurion and whatever that place, the what the faux London place. He just finished six, and he just finished fourth at Live DC. So it's like, you know, I, I still am figuring out how to how to measure web results. But if these guys are in the six K range, have such a proven track record on majors, and are showing up to the live events and finishing in the top 10 in the better, you know, in the top 75 percentile of the field field, then yeah, I'm going to play Stenson over Andrew Putnam. Like I just am. What I, what the live results show us is guys, it's, they're not fucking off. Right. I mean, they're clearly 
they're they're competitive. They're they're playing. They're obviously practicing. They're sharp-ish. Um, I think something with a guy like Stenson, you're down here and you're dumpster diving in these low, you know, in the sixty-two hundred dollar range, and the people you could play are, you know, fucking Daniel Hillier and Pablo Larrazabal. I think people like that Hillier guy. Well, I know they do, but yeah, you know, give, me, give me Southgate instead. Yeah, I mean, these guys all have problems, right? They've all got tons of problems. Otherwise, they wouldn't be $5,900 or $6,200. So what you're hoping for is for these guys to play to whatever ceiling they have or close to their ceiling. And the question is, you know, when we're talking about Henrik Stenson, if he plays well for Henrik Stenson, what is the ceiling? And I think the ceiling is finishing T11 or T8 or whatever, which is a lot higher than probably the ceiling for uh, I don't know, Francesco Molinari at this point in his career, right? Um, and I think so, up. yeah. Yeah, I mean, or, or like realistically, I mean, God bless K.H. Lee, but does K.H. Lee have upside on this kind of golf course to finish in the top 10? I don't, I don't think so. Scott Stallings, I mean, it, it, you see that? I don't think so. Laurie Cantor, you know, another sort of kind of idiot. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. So, you know, I'm happy taking my chances down here. If I'm going to throw these darts, they have to have a high ceiling because all of these guys have low floors, right? I mean, there's there's not a guy here that doesn't have a low floor. Are are you playing anyone with a five next to their name? I've thought about it. Does that count? I, I think I am playing two guys. Do people know who Matthew Southgate is? Because... I uh I got a text from somebody I was talking to that was like, oh, everybody's gonna play Southgate. He's so underpriced. And I was like, are they? Like, do people I, I like Southgate? I mean, Southgate, he finished six at Royal Liverpool and twelfth at Troon. Um, did you yeah, know that? I, I did. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Talked him up last year, and you know, I, I kind of remember diving into his um I guess the last time we were at the open um i remember diving into his numbers because he's kind of one of those popular british kind of also ran guys God, is he popular i i because well, i don't follow dp much but i just like i mean he is his numbers are really good on the dp world tour like he's gained yeah, strokes off the tee in four it. straight he's got these eight strokes on approach he's kind of got like elite iron upside for whatever that means on the dp world tour Right. He's a guy that gets talked up occasionally over there because he's just a popular player among like the fans. Um, right. Cause he was a okay. guy who, well, he was a guy who people thought was going to have a big career, right. And be not the next superstar from England or anything like that, but you know, someone that almost could be a Bobby McIntyre, right. Who could sort of transcend local British golf and, and become one of the guys, but that has not materialized yet. I mean, the answer is yet. So I don't know if people are going to play him. I do think there'll be a contingent of people who do, like I said earlier, want to go dumpster diving into the fives because it's interesting and it's new and it allows you to do more up top. And I think that he could become a popular name. The question is how popular. Yeah. What does that mean? Like over under 5%? Uh, Probably a little under. Yeah. Four, three, four, something like that. But it's, I mean, 5,600 is just so low, Andy. It's almost like it's nothing. It really, if you're like, 
if you've already put four guys on your team and you add a $5,600 guy, I mean, good God, you're adding so much flexibility to what you can do. Um, I don't know that he ends up on my teams because I, I could see, particularly in the high stakes, I could uh, foresee him getting a little bit more popular uh, just because, you know, people are more likely to, to sort of know what's going on when they're playing in the four 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 four, for instance. But whew, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe uh, th- there could be some guys down here for me, but I'm I'm not sure I'm playing like a four percent Marcel scene. You know, oh, I mean, come on. Does um. Do people remember what this guy was up to at St. Andy's last year? He's the German Michael Block. <laughs> I mean, he, what? No, I think it was at St. George's, right? It was St. Yeah, George's. Yeah, I think you're right. Where he finished 15th, and he literally did the Michael Block thing, you know, visor off for every putt, but it was charming because he's like this, you know, journeyman German guy who didn't take himself too seriously. He was Michael Block. I've said before, like, Michael Block is Marcel Seam without the charm. But, you know, Marcel also had some history of playing competitive golf. He's playing really good on the European tour right now. He's gained well, over two strokes ball striking in three of his last four. Yeah, go to Rick Run Good. We've got all the Euro stuff. He gained well, he, 8.7 at the Porsche Italian Open, and he did win on the DP World Tour earlier this year. He won the yeah, Hero he, Indian he Open. So, I mean, yeah, he not. won the Hero Indian Open, where a runaway at the Hero Indian Open. He gained 9.5 ball striking and he gained 18 strokes to the hero Indian on the hero Indian open field at $1,500. Many people are talking about that. Many people are talking about the the big dick wins at the hero Indian open, man. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll cut it before we start. What about Patty? That's a name I've heard a bit. Um, well, you know, I've played him. I think I've played him in showdown at the U S open. And it was such a just demoralizing experience. He tries to hit the ball so hard and he just gets so wayward because he's just just trying to pound it off of every tee. I mean, I don't know. Like old guys can play well with some guile and some moxie. I just don't necessarily think he's that guy. Yeah. I, like- I think it's course dependent. I think he like still really cares about being good. But I think if this was like a wide open golf course like Kiowa, which he played really well at. I'd play Patty, but I, I right here, like if you give me a Stenson Patty matchup, I'm all over Stenson like, on why this golf course. It's 6,600. You know, it just feels too hot. Like kind of what we talked about with, with like, give me the, the savings of some of the guys below him. Like, why is he the same price as, as Grio? Why is he the same? Uh, why is he more expensive even than Tom Hoagie, who frankly played pretty good last week? So I don't, I don't know that I really see it. You know, not that I'm playing Tom Hoagie, but you know, I, I could see Tom Hoagie playing well before uh, before I see Patty Harrington. Last question: uh, one guy above nine to miss the cut, and uh, your winner. Ooh, it's a little easier this week. Normally, you make me pick a guy above ten uh, to miss the cut. We can one do guy- ten, but I think we're are we both gonna like? I don't, you know, Cam Smith like. Right. Yeah, that becomes a little bit easy. Uh, I think Matt Fitzpatrick misses the cut. Okay. I think the driving numbers are a little concerning. He's not as accurate as he used to be. Not that I think accuracy is going to matter a ton, but I, I think the sort of elite driving form that we saw late last year and early this year has been a little shaky. And I know driver tends to be sticky. I mean, that's the one that 
kind of is the most repeatable. And I don't think he's in a great place with his driver right now. And I don't trust him to drive it well enough. And I could see him playing poorly here. Uh, and who's going to win the tournament? Who do you think I'm going to say, Andy? Rory? I mean, as much as I... The reason I wouldn't say Rory is because I'm very conscious of just being totally flamed out as a Rory fanboy. Um, and if you just keep picking Rory, like when he wins, does it even matter? Because you just pick him every every time. But no, I think... <laughs> I mean, I told you after the U.S. Open that I thought Rory's going to win this tournament. Um, I feel like it... I feel like I say this every fucking time I'm on this podcast, but uh, I do think this feels like a slightly better version of Rory than we've seen even earlier this year. Uh-huh. Breaking man, he just hits it. He's hitting it so, so good. And I know Scotty struck it better than him for the whole year, but I think at this moment, um, kind of right now, I, he's striking it as well as Scotty. The way he's driving the golf ball, I think he has the option of being aggressive. Um, he also has the option of not being aggressive. That's kind of the luxury roar he's going to have this week. He wants to hit driver. I think he's the big miss that we were seeing earlier this year that kind of scared you at Oak Hill. I've not seen a lot of that in the last mm-hmm. you know, two months. I think it's his moment. I hate the numbers so short. You know, I'd like to, when you're betting Rory, you, you know, we've been seeing 12s and 16s at some of these majors, and now we're here in the land of seven and a half or whatever your best number is. So that uh, troubles me, but I do think he wins this tournament. He's playing way better than he was entering LACC and Oak Hill uh, and obviously the Masters. I'll go Scheffler just to be different, but I would trade the money I went on Scheffler this week for Rory winning um, without a doubt. <laughs> I just, it's just been such a fucking long road with this guy for me and, and you and, and you know, the last year was one of the toughest. I mean, that was, uh, it's tough. Cause you LACC was right up there, man. But I mean, the emotional investment that we had in, in that, Forget about the money. Just, I'll never forget that Sunday, man. I'll never forget that Sunday with with Rory at St Andrews, and uh, obviously there is a full circle romanticism aspect about him winning this tournament on this golf course. I think that he's in as as good of a position to do so as ever. Uh, I just, I, I thought the Scheffler number was a little bit better, so I took Scheffler, but. Man, I hope I think right. so too. I think that was a wise bet. And I think now as their numbers have sort of molded into one, you know, right. both, they've kind of met back. In Which the is what it should be. I think it's a coin flip too. I think it is. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them dueling down the stretch. Um, you know, I, it's hard to not get romantic about the idea of Rory McIlroy being lifted to victory by the, the British crowd that just needs it. And, you know, I mean, there's, that was what was happening last year, right? And then it didn't happen. Um, but I think it's this is kind of St. Andrews is the home of golf, and it's a it's sort of bigger than itself. I think this is a more intimate sort of setting where that if Rory McIlroy's in the hunt, you know, at this place with these fans that feel so connected to him, because frankly, for most of them, you know, what I mean, the only they've had one major in the last or one open in the last 17 years and Rory won it. So I think those people feel a deep, honest connection to him. And if he can handle that, um, you know, it, it'll be a really fun thing to watch on Sunday. If he's in the mix with those people 
uh, supporting him uh, like like nothing we've probably ever seen. Almost well, Port Rush with Shane Lowry, frankly, is the last time we saw it. But that the reason that was so special is because we hadn't really seen it. Yeah, if you pulled, if you pulled like every spectator entering Liverpool, what their favorite outcome is. I think Fleetwood's maybe the only guy just because he grew up pretty damn close to that area. Fleetwood's maybe the only guy that would would get the vote over Rory. And even that, I just, I don't know because of how long it's been with Rory and, and how much the kind of European fan base kind of had their hearts broken last year at this tournament cheering him on. So yeah, maybe Fleetwood, but I agree with you. I think that, I think that if it's like Rory and Fitz down the stretch, the the Brits are the Brits are going to do a double and, and go with the Irishman. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, Rory's kind of the the captain of their hearts, which is really the Ryder Cup team. You know, I mean, he's the he's the heart and soul of of what they really care about, which is is that particular team, and I think that matters a lot to them and I think they have great affection for him. I I'm excited to see it. I mean, I hope he I don't think there's really much of a chance that he flames out. So I think he will be there. I think the question is one who's around him. If it's Scheffler and you know Brooks, who knows, right? I mean, Scheffler could just ball strike this place to death and make just enough putts to beat him. Um it could be another situation where he's you know having to hold off fucking you know Tommy Fleetwood and Tom Kim, right? I mean, that that is in the cards. Um, so I think it a lot of it depends on who he's staring down on Sunday because I think he'll be there. Toby DuBose, anything you want to, any final thoughts before we get out of here? No. Uh, fun year. So we've fun year. We've completed a few years of these. These have been a lot of fun. I hope people have enjoyed them. I know we have, um, well, you have a lot of fans. I don't believe I have fans, but I think they do enjoy our our shows so happy that we've been able to do it i hope that people can make some money on this tournament good to see you my friend we'll do it again man we'll get in a pot on something before uh before the masters but good to see you as always my friend thanks for doing this you too bill all right that is it for the podcast special thanks to rickrungood.com special thanks to kobe dubose we'll be back next week for the 3m open Best of luck with your bets this weekend, and enjoy the open. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream Between the viaducts of your dream Where my world steel rims crack And the dead center back roads stop